You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. First Peter chapter 1 is where we are this morning. Verses 3 through 5 will be our text. We spent some time going through this generally um, last week, and we're going to dig in a little more. I think this is too important to go through quickly, uh, but we'll get into that. So this is First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Grass withers, flower fades, Word of our God stands forever. Thank you, Jenny. I was getting concerned that that had no one sitting in it, but now we have at least one person in that section over there. I was going to make Dennis scoot over, but (laughs) since since you're there, we're good to go. Uh, This is such a beautiful opening to this epistle from Peter to these churches, the elect exiles scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This is such a powerful opening that I just... We could, have, we could have moved on to verse 6, and, and maybe by the time we get done with this, you'll say, why didn't we go on to verse 6? But I want to slow down because I, so much of what Peter is going to speak on through the rest of this book is anchored right here in this opening blessing that he has of God. And if we fly through this, this is not just some simple introduction. If we just fly through this and get to what's next, we won't have an anchor to help us cling to what the rest of the book has to say to us. The call for holy living, how uh, instructions we are as a people, submitting to authorities, uh, instructions for the Christian household, how to suffer for righteousness sake, how to be a steward of God's grace. All of these headlines that we see throughout First Peter will have no anchor if we don't really grasp at a heart level, what Peter is writing about here. There is so much to anchor ourselves here, and there is so much of this that is fuel for the Christian life. How are we going to go out of these doors and seek to be holy, seek to live in a way that glorifies God? that lives, seek to live lives that are given fully and gladly to God and to no one else. We need a high-octane fuel to be able to live that way, and that's what this opening is. It is high-octane fuel. It is, it is a heavy anchor that when we see it, if we will see it, will anchor us, will fuel us for the Christian life. Remember, again, the atmosphere of the difficulty that this letter is written in. Peter is where? He's in Rome. He's in prison. He's looking down, the, he's, he's going to be uh, martyred in a 
few years, months, whatever it may be, he's going to be hung upside down and killed by the Emperor Nero. Things are not going really very well. This is not, he's not making the cover of Travel and Leisure magazine. He's, his life is a struggle, full of suffering. These Christians here in the dispersion, scattered throughout what is now modern Turkey, they are suffering. People are speaking ill of them. They, have, they are being slandered. They are being maligned. People hate them. Things are not going well. That's the context, right? we got to remember that. Because when we remember that, then Peter's words really jump off the page. Because he goes to God, he speaks to them, and his voice towards God is one of, bless God. That's Nutter's talk. Really, that's crazy. That is crazy talk. If, if, if he is just looking at his life circumstances and the life circumstances of this church, if they are just looking at their lives in the natural, there is nothing to be excited about. There is difficulty. And yet something large enough has happened that in the midst of it, Peter says, bless God. I want that kind of anchor. I want that kind of fuel. Because we all know what happens in this life. It is full of many wonderful blessings. It is full of many great joys. And it is also full of many sorrows, many difficulties, many goodbyes. As many exciting hellos as there are, there are as many sad goodbyes. And what are we going to do to have an anchor? I want what Peter has here. Something big enough that in the midst of his trials, he is still able to say, bless God. This is a common practice in the Old Testament. You can flip through your Psalms and you can see over and over again this call, this refrain of blessing God. It basically just means praise God, worship God. We can think of like Psalm 103. We had that as a fighter verse a couple of years ago. But it starts out with, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Right? Psalm 103. Read it. It's beautiful. I think it was Norm Jennings' favorite psalm, actually. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord. This is this common refrain to bless God, to praise his name. What is Peter going to bless God for? What is this anchor? What is this fuel for the Christian life that Peter has? He's going to bless God for what? That according to his great mercy, what has God done? He has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now, this is, where we can, this is where we can fly by this and we can just say born again is kind of common language, but it's actually, you know, you, you have the term a born again Christian is a redundant term. <laughs> like every, every, anyone that you speak to ever talk about, are you a born again Christian? That's a redundancy. Uh, to be born again is to be a Christian. To be Christian is to be born again. That's the way we speak about the Christian faith. According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. This is a huge concept in New Testament Christianity. It's the very discussion that Jesus is having with Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. You can flip back there with me. John chapter 3, famous for John 3, 16, right? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. Well, that's coming out of a whole conversation Jesus is having with Nicodemus about this reality of being born again. Born again. That to be a Christian is to be born again. So John chapter 3 says this. There was, verse 1, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, I, just, I can just imagine the puzzlement here. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's literally, you know, born again. He's wrestling with this. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. And bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe heavenly things? For no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is Jesus speaking about himself right here. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up upon the cross, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So he's linking this born againness to eternal life. He's putting them together. He's, he's taking this whole package. If you must be born again, yes, born of flesh, but also born of the Spirit. Born, yeah, certainly, but also born again. And what does this born againness look like? It looks like looking at Jesus who was lifted up, looking at him who was lifted up and believing so that you may have eternal life. This is what it means to be born again. This is what this language is all about. What does everyone is born, but only those who are born again Enter the kingdom. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son, of the only Son of God. 
What does being born again look like? On the ground, it looks like believing in Jesus Christ and looking to him as your savior. You must be born again. And Peter is rejoicing over this reality of being born again. The Christian life is not about merely adopting new practices and moral behaviors. It is about living born again. It's about living a born again life. Certainly a change in lifestyle does happen in the Christian. But only but it all in the Christian it only happens because there has been a change of life from death to life. Peter uses this phrase again down in verse 23. Verse 22 of the first chapter, he says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Peter says here, we are born again through the living word of God and the living word of God is this good news that was preached to them. This good news of who Christ is and what he has done. And when you see this, by the mercy of God, you are born again. You are given a new heart and you begin to live for God and for his glory. There are no halfway born, there are no half-borns in Christ. You're, you're born, certainly we all are alive in a physical sense. All of humanity is alive. But there is no such thing as halfway Christian. There's no such thing as halfway born again. Sometimes Christianity can get so soft-pedaled. Like there's a, 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 a seven-day free trial. Try this out for a week and see if it works for you or not. There's no, there's no uh, halfway program. There is no step-up program. If you come to Christ, it is with this reality, knowing I have died with Christ. I am dead, born dead in trespasses and sins. I have died with Christ in his crucifixion, and I have been raised to newness of life to live for him. I no longer live for myself. I have been born again to a life that is lived for God. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is what it means to be born again. Your life is no longer yours. That life has died. You are his. You are his. You have been born again. And the reason why that is not Bad news, but good news, that you don't get to live for yourself anymore, but live for him, is because this being born again comes with new hopes. It comes with far better hopes than what we have when life is our own. In our world today, our hopes are at best going to be short-lived. Even if you grant the maximum of hopes, of all that you could ever want or wish for in this life, it will all be gone in a matter of a few years. I don't mean to be a downer, but all of life is fading. And if you could list out a hundred hopes that you want for this life, and if you could achieve every one of those hopes, 
They will not matter the day that you get lowered into the ground. We are all dust and we all return to dust and it will happen before you know it. Life is fading. The best you can get in this life is, is living for a while hopes. You can, all these things, all the, I want my life to be about this. You know, everyone's got, they talk about their bucket list or I want, I want these certain things to have happen. The best that you can get is alive for a while hopes and that will eventually die with you. But in Christ, we have, as Peter calls it, a living hope, not life for a while hope, but a living hope. A hope that does not end. How do we have a living hope? Because we have a living Christ. This living hope comes to us through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. What assurances do you live your life by? When you turn on the light switch, you think the lights are going to come on. There's an assurance that you think you have. When you buy food at the store, you assume that it won't poison you, that it's been cleared and it's okay, and you open it up and you eat it. You have some sense. You live your life based off of assurances, that when you drive down the road, you have a general assurance of the, of the sanity of humanity, that everyone wants to stay in their own lane so this doesn't end poorly for us all. So you have an assurance of certain things. What assurances can the Christian live, live by? Well, this is an assurance that Peter calls us to live by, that Christ has conquered the grave. Christ has resurrected from the dead. And we have a living hope that comes to us through this real resurrection of the Son of God out of the grave three days after his crucifixion. When you get down to it, Christianity is wild. It really is. If you water it down and you just make it about be good people and be kind and, you know, love one another, which are all good things, I'm not putting them down. But when you water it down to that, Christianity just becomes a moral improvement program and really has no bearing, no resemblance to what Scripture puts forward. Because Christianity is wild. We have a faith that is based upon a resurrected Savior who literally after three days lying dead in the tomb rose from the grave and conquered death and was seen by hundreds of witnesses, those in Peter being one of them, who saw the resurrected Christ. And so when he says we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's saying that because he's seen it. He touched Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He ate fish. He was forgiven by Jesus on the beach after Jesus' resurrection. Christians do not rejoice in the resurrection only as an Easter day celebration, but as an everyday celebration. Romans chapter 6, Paul goes on a little bit of a tirade about this reality of the resurrection and the power and the importance of the resurrection. Romans chapter 6 what shall we say then? The question comes about continuing on in sin. He says, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin, so he's speaking, here's this, here's this born again language. We have died to sin, still live in it. 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. How does the resurrection of Christ impact us? It tells us that of our past, Christ has been raised for us. It tells us about our present. Christ is now alive and at work for us. And it tells us about our future. Christ will return and finish this rescue. Why does Peter ground this living hope through Jesus' resurrection from the dead? Because of the immovable reality that is implied in this supernatural resurrection. When we speak of the assurances of the Christian life, they are assurances meant to be grounded on objective truth, something outside of us. What are the truths that exist outside of us that we can bank our lives upon? We live in a world today that says, that says truth only really exists on the inside of an individual. My truth. I have my truth. You have your truth. If they contradict each other, that's fine. You live with yours. I'll live with mine. That's insanity. Math doesn't exist inside the individual. But when we go to the bank, we're all glad that math does exist as an objective reality. There is something outside of us that is true. There is something outside of us that is true, a recognized truth. When we talk about something that is objective, we're saying something that has happened outside of us that we all recognize and now live our lives upon. And so when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, it is to be seen by the Christian as one of those objective truths, something that has happened outside of us that we now bank and live our lives upon. Christianity is not some merely subjectively felt or affirmed position. It is the recognition of a certain set of truth claims. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus lived a righteous life. Jesus died in the place of sinners for the sake of sinners. Jesus didn't stay dead, but he overcame the final enemy of death. And our hope as Christians now lies in the fact that as Christ has risen, we will rise as well. Just as we have died with Christ, if you have died with Christ through faith in his crucifixion, just if you have died with him, you too have been raised with him. Bible speaks about it in both of these ways. It's fascinating. It speaks of it in past tense, past tense and coming reality. You have been raised and you will be raised. 
You have been raised spiritually. You have been born again. And one day at the consummation of all things, you will be resurrected in the same way that Christ has been. This is no small thing that Peter calls them to. It's no small thing that Christ calls all of his followers to. He calls us to place our hopes not in the swelling and the fading away of the circumstances of this life. We want to so bad, don't we? We want to have the, we want to put our hopes in the, either the rising or the outgoing tides of the circumstances of our life. But Peter's saying to not put our hopes there, but in the rock solid assurances of the life to come. Christ has risen from the dead and he has not finished with his people. As surely as he has risen, he will come again. It's the point that Peter makes in his sermon in Acts chapter 3 where he says that Jesus is now received in heaven until the time for restoring all things comes about. So how does this help us today? It empowers us and it strengthens us by giving us a higher place to set our sights. Peter is calling these Christians that he's writing to and us as well to persevere in the face of great turbulence and trials. How in the world are they going to do that? By living with this hope that comes to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the same hope he talks about in Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Look, looking to him and from which we will come in his glory to set our minds upon Christ. Where are our minds set today? Where are your hopes placed today? Are we clinging to the fading glories of this life? Are we, or are we clinging to the unfading glory of Christ and to resurrected life? Clinging to him will change everything. It will change how you view your friendships. It will change how you view your blessings. It will change how you view your trials. Christ is alive. He has conquered death. He has risen from the grave. And because Christ lives, all who are his will live as well. No matter what you live with, live with this living hope given through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He has conquered death. He has eternal life. And all who are his will inherit their blessings in their due time. Let's pray. Father, we need so much help to see this. And human words and certainly mine fail to express the gravity of this reality. And so right now I pray Holy Spirit would the Holy Spirit would work in every heart. God, I, I pray for conviction for the sin in my own heart, the sin in the hearts of those of us who are gathered here this morning of clinging to lesser glories, wanting so many things smaller than you to satisfy us. Instead of rejoicing with Peter that blessing your name because of what we have in Christ. We have a living hope. A hope that does not fade. A hope that does not die. A hope that will not wear out. 
a hope that will not fail because it comes to us through a living Christ who has defeated death itself. Father, may the, the radical message that that is penetrate our hearts this morning, causing us to be born again, rejoicing anew in our new birth and walking out of these doors this morning, not living for ourselves, but living for you, the God who has made us and has redeemed us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.